Joe Collins and welcome to See Me Church. Our mission is to love God and neighbor one household at a time. We are a group of ordinary people who believe in the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ. So no matter who you are, what your story, I'm glad you're here. You know, uh, I want to apologize before I go any further to the church for the technical difficulties that we've been having these past couple of weeks. I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but we are working on it and I assure you we're going to get it rectified as soon as possible. That said, for the past several months at Simi Church, we've been doing a series called One-on-One -on -one with Jesus. And the idea is to look at different interactions that Jesus had with different people in Scripture to see what we can apply to our lives today. Last week, my new friend Marty Solomon of the Bema podcast looked at a one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and Philip. And he taught us that Jesus go didn't go to the cross so that we wouldn't have to, didn't go to the cross so that we wouldn't have to, but he went to the cross to show us how to. Today, we're going to be taking a look at a one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and a paralyzed man. As always, the goal is to draw something out relevant to our faith and life today. So let me start by asking you a question. Who here likes to be helpless? I didn't think anybody does. I certainly don't. You know, when I think about being helpless, I think about that, those few seconds that you first step onto a roller coaster and they lower that bar down on you and you realize at that moment that there's nothing you can do for the next minute and a half. You just have to enjoy the ride. Well, today I want to look at an interaction between Jesus and a totally helpless man who ended up going on quite a ride. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you so very much for what you've done for me in my life and for what you've done for each and every one of us in our lives. And I pray now that we open up our hearts and to look deeply into your word and to take away something that's relevant to our faith today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1, verse 1 through 8. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God. Who had given such authority to man? The one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and the paralytic is recorded in three Gospels out of the four that were written. While all, while all the three that record this account focus primarily on Jesus' authority to, give, to forgive sins and the controversy that followed, the brevity of Matthew's account highlights what I think is the humanity of Jesus. In verse 2, he says to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, the word son in the Greek is this word technon, and it, it's a term of affection. I want you to think of maybe a teacher with their student or a coach with his players. Even though we have no evidence in Scripture of the two men meeting prior to this one-on-one, -on -one, it's clear that Jesus had a genuine affection for the paralytic, and he wanted to help him. Then later in, Matthew, in verse 7, Matthew simply says, the man got up and went home. Think about that word home. Now, I don't know 
how this man was paralyzed or for how long. But I do know that his homecoming, thanks to Jesus, must have been incredibly special. You know, every one of us has been broken in some way, whether it was physical or psychological or spiritual. And even though you and I will never have, have never met Jesus personally, we know that Matthew did. And Matthew wants us to know that Jesus genuinely cares about you and I, and he wants to help us. Let's look at Luke chapter 5. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house that lay before him, before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now Luke, being a physician, offers a more detailed account than Matthew. And he adds a few extra details, including that Jesus happened to be in a house when this healing occurred, that the house was overcrowded, that the paralytic was lowered through a hole in the roof of the house, and most notably, that it wasn't just some teachers of the law upset with Jesus for saying, your sins are forgiven, but verse 17 tells us that there was a sizable coalition of teachers of the law and Pharisees from all over Palestine, including Jerusalem, that got upset with Jesus. All of this adds to the intensity and importance of the interaction. Which leads me to my second observation about the one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and the paralytic. And that was that it was done in public and out in the open for all to see. Now, I know this may go without saying, but not all of the one-on-ones that we've looked at in the series were done in public. But the fact that they were later recorded in Scripture and therefore made public is instructive. As Marty said last week, Jesus didn't go to the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He went to the cross to show us how to. Well, in the same way, the Gospels weren't written to be read privately. They were written to be lived publicly. Which is why the one-on-one -on -one recorded in Scripture, the one-on-ones recorded in Scripture, whether they were public or private, were recorded in the first place to teach future generations to follow, of, of Jesus' followers how to follow. You know, I sometimes get some flack for parking on, for parking too long on a specific theme or, or, or subject or series. I know a few years ago we did the Gospel of Mark and it took us two and a half years and then after that we did Jeremiah and I think it took us nine months and now we're doing one-on-one -on -one with Jesus and it's, we're going into our eighth month I think it is. I just want to assure you that my goal is not to bore you, it's to bury you in Scripture. Because I want you to know I don't just want you to know Scripture, I want you to live the Scripture. Which brings me to the third and most 
detailed account of the one-on-one between Jesus and the paralytic and the one that I want to spend the rest of our time on today, turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. You know, all the Gospels agree that the healing of the paralytic took place early in Jesus' ministry. If you know the story, shortly after being anointed by John the Baptist, Jesus made his way up to the city of Capernaum, where he called his first disciples. After preaching in the synagogue there, he went to Simon Peter, one of his first disciples' house, and he spent the rest of the day healing all the sick and demon-possessed in the town. The next morning, he took his new disciples, and they went on a whirlwind tour of Galilee, doing the same kinds of things in all the neighboring towns and villages, going into the synagogue, and then going to a house or somewhere and healing the possessed and the sick. After a short hiatus across the Sea of Galilee on the east side, they returned to Capernaum, and, Jesus, and, and to Peter's house where Jesus set up shop. When word got out that Jesus was back in town, a huge crowd gathered at Peter's house to hear him speak. And verse 2 says this, he preached the word to them. You know, as wonderful as all the miracles and the healings and the things that Jesus had done, as wonderful as they were, he never lost sight of his primary mission to preach the word. What is your mission? You know, sociologists tell us that we're currently living in the most activist generation in history. Everyone from corporations to individuals are expected to be politically, environmentally, socially, etc. responsible. Now, I believe there's a lot of good that can come from all that, kind, all that activism. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't result in a house full of people hearing God's word, then what's the point? Recently, in a response to a thread about whether companies, tech companies and business leaders should involve themselves in social issues, former Twitter, and C- Twitter CEO Dick Costolo tweeted this, Me first capitalists who think you can separate society from business are going to be the first people lined up against the wall and shot in the revolution. And I'll happily provide video commentary. Did you hear what he just said? He actually advocated for social justice by firing squad. You know, that's what happens when do-gooders try to do good apart from God's good word and why the church cannot, it must not ever stop preaching God's word. Verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening for him in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. You ever wondered who the men were that carried this man to Jesus? I mean, were they family? Were they friends? Were they good Samaritans? We don't know. What we do know is that they were men of action. Verse 4 tells us, that because of the crowd, they were unable to enter the house, so they devised the plan to make an opening in the roof and lower him through it in front of Jesus. You know, when you think about it, I think that's a really great picture of the kind of activism we as the church should be engaged in, making openings for people to come to Jesus. I'm grateful for all the people who made openings for me, my parents. 
I had teachers, and there were others in my life who by their influence or their direct action all helped me to know Christ. Not because I was special or important, but because I was in their sphere of influence, or what the Greeks called oikos, which means household. I was simply someone God had supernaturally and strategically placed in their lives, and they took action. They prayed for me. They invested in me. They invited me to church, and they prepared themselves to be Christ-like for me. They pipped me. You know, I think that's what it looks like to make an opening for someone to know Jesus. And I think that's what Jesus did with his first disciples. He pipped them to become followers of his. His disciples did it with with their oikos. And I really believe that's what God calls us to do with our oikos. You know, we have these oikos cards that we handed out at the beginning of the year. And I don't know if you remember getting one, but if you do, I really hope that you have been using that card because on that card, it spells out these four, these, these four steps. Pray for, invest in, invite, and prepare yourself to be Jesus. And I hope you've been using it and, and, and written names on it and been using it and, praying and, and, and putting it into practice in your life. Verse 5 says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw what these guys did for the paralytic, he also took action. And he said to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's what anyone expected Jesus to do. I think they thought he might heal him, but they certainly weren't thinking that he was going to forgive him of his, of his sins. Now, I'm not saying that the paralytic wasn't happy about it. I mean, who wouldn't want their sins forgiven? And by the way, if you haven't had your sins forgiven, you're really missing out. I'm just saying I think it was unexpected. So why do you think he chose to do it? Or maybe more specifically, why did he do it so publicly and out loud for everyone to hear? Well, let's think about the audience for a minute. Look at verses 6 through 8. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Remember in Luke, the sum sum teachers of the law that Matthew and Mark said were in attendance was actually a whole contingent of teachers of law and Pharisees from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And when they heard him say, son, your sins are forgiven, they went all boomer on Jesus. Uh, they, They went Kevin or Karen on him. Because according to the law of Moses, only God can forgive sins. Yet here's Jesus, a mere man, or so they thought, claiming that authority for himself. Let me make a clarification. When Jesus said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, he was not talking about human forgiveness of the kind that happens between people on a relational level. Rather, he was talking about divine forgiveness or the complete and total cleansing of a person's sins now and forever. Like I said before, if you haven't had your sins divinely forgiven, you really are missing out. So I think you can understand why this large contingent of theologians in the audience that heard what Jesus said had gotten so upset because they didn't believe Jesus was God. Now the problem wasn't with their theology because if they believed he was God, they would be okay with him forgiving sins. The problem was with his theophany, or more accurately, that Jesus was a theophany. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, hey, Joe, the live feed has been messed up two weeks in a row. I'm watching service at a time that I don't normally watch service, and now you're throwing these complicated words at me. 
Why are you doing it? Well, to be honest, they rhyme. <laughs> but actually, it's also because theophany means an appearance of God. And they missed it. Even after all the amazing things that Jesus had already done up to this point, they just didn't believe that he was God, that he was a theophany, an appearance of God. Maybe that's why Jesus asked in verse 8, why are you thinking these things? We could read it another way. What do I have to do to convince you? Look what he says in verses 9 through 12. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. <coughs> he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus asked this question, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? Well, the truth is, to God, it doesn't really matter. He can do what he wants. But from the perspective of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, forgiving somebody of their sins was a much greater act because that was something only God could do. But I got to admit, there's something to be said for witnessing a bona fide miracle, not to mention one as dramatic as healing a paralytic. I mean, the physical before and after alone must have been incredible. I mean, imagine seeing bones straightening and muscles regenerating and limbs becoming usable again, not to mention watching this guy stand up and walk right out in front of them. That's got to leave an impression. I think that's why Jesus said in verse 10, and maybe he was being a little sarcastic, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins because Jesus wanted to erase any doubt that these men had regarding his authority to forgive sins. So Jesus did the miracle they could see to verify the miracle they couldn't. Verses 11 and 12, he, to he told the man to get up and go home. You know, next to hearing your sins are forgiven, I think these words were the second most precious thing the paralytic ever heard in his life, let alone that day. Here's my point. When it comes to sin, everyone is as helpless as the paralytic or, is, or like me on a roller coaster, but not Jesus. Not only does he care about us, but he also has the power to heal our brokenness and forgive our sins. Father, thank you for this time to look deeply into your word, to let it move in our hearts. And I pray, God, that you will speak to us, that you have spoken to us, and that, God, we will be different as a result. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, Timmy Church, we believe the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. In it, we learn that Jesus is Lord, He lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and rose to life again. And it's in this belief we do everything. If you like what we're doing at Simi Church, please consider giving today. We are a member-supported fellowship by people like me. You can give online at simi.church or by texting keyword Simi Church to 77977. Finally, I want to remind all the members of Simi Church to engage your worlds for Christ. All you need to do is pip them, pray for, invest in, invite them to church, and prepare yourself to be Christ-like for them. Oh, and don't forget to share the links to our website and social media outlets. I really want to thank you for joining us this morning, and I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.
Been holding on for too long Singing the same, those the same songs Putting me behind the misery It's all for me Been holding on for too long But now I've got nothing to hold on